Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mobile Meeple People podcast. Still a very difficult name to say. Uh, this is episode number two, and if uh, you listened to episode one and came back, thank you. Episode one was a little rough. It was our first one. Uh, two should be a whole lot better, uh, a little quicker, and we'll have a little more uh, content for you. That was sort of a get-to-know-us on the first episode. So this podcast is going to be about board games and, you know, about the people we play board games with and how we feel about these certain board bird games. Board games. Um, some board games are about birds, but I don't think we're covering any of those today. Uh, I'm here with Gary. My name is Adam, and uh, this is going to be our PAX episode. I guess I uh, would like to go to PAX this year. I unfortunately did not go. Uh, it was a couple weekends ago. Gary did get to go, though. Spent the whole weekend there. He'll have a lot to talk about covering the boost, some games he played, and just overall maybe some convention uh, tips. If you've never been to a convention, it's a different ball game. It's a ton of people. I know he said this year was probably busier than most because the last couple, obviously, those numbers were trickled down, obviously, because of COVID. So we'll be covering packs and maybe a couple other games that we played maybe this week or the week before and uh thoughts and you know how we feel about those games but gary if you want to kick it off uh tell us about pax how was it to clarify it's pax unplugged which is a board gaming and tabletop convention for the most part um i've been to other multi-faceted conventions before i like pax because it's mostly just board gaming there. They have a large board gaming library like some other conventions, but beyond that, a lot of vendors will go there selling various products, inserts, special new meeples, things of that nature. So if you're looking for something, you could probably find it there. One of my favorite things to do is head straight to that area where they sell discount games. They're usually games that people have sold to them, and they may have been open. Sometimes they're not. It's a lot of really interesting games there, and a lot of times I'll go in with a mindset of paying five bucks for a game because I've made out on some great games in the past for five or ten dollars that were, you know, twenty or thirty dollar games. It's important to plan when you're going to go there. It's going to sell out pretty quickly, pretty early. I'd recommend getting someplace close to the venue um, because if you go further, you're either going to have to worry about finding parking and paying parking every day, which is pretty expensive or ride-sharing, and Philadelphia is, I don't want to say an unsafe city, but there's certainly areas of the city that if you're not from rural areas, you will be uncomfortable in. For the most part, though, you just, you know, walk walk with purpose, walk in a group, don't go alone, don't walk in any sort of um, intoxicated state, or, you know, if you've got headphones on or something like that, you definitely want to be aware. I remember the big problem we had, too, was carrying so many things so you're obviously going to packs you're gonna buy stuff uh sometimes the board games that you get are pretty heavy too so carrying those back and forth from the venue to wherever you're staying uh that was definitely an issue that we ran into a couple of times so uh that's definitely something that people want to think about too how you're gonna transport uh those items uh actually you got something this year to help you with that, right? 
Yeah, I had I had it last year and for whatever reason didn't end up picking it up. So this year I got these board gaming backpacks that are huge. They are they zip um and stand pretty well so that you can like pack in board games and it's a large zipper like a suitcase versus a backpack's, you know, more limited. Um they have reinforced straps and I managed to fit a significant amount of games in there that I would never fit into a regular backpack. Um, going on that, too, I'd like to mention that you generally want to try and bring yourself some snacks or drinks. They do offer them at the convention center, but you're going to pay a heavy premium versus, you know, bringing in your own stuff or even, you know, venturing out. There is the Reading Terminal Market, which is right nearby the uh, Philadelphia Convention Center that has got pretty much any kind of food you could think of. And I don't mean to talk about everything else other than the board games, but I just figured these are some interesting things that I've learned that will definitely help people out going in the future. Um, for me, I like to maximize the amount of time that I can spend playing board games there. It's one of the things I think what I like the most is that I don't have to sit and plan and, you know, figure out when my friends will be available. I know that these people are there and they're going to want to play board games. Maybe not every second of every day, but considerably more than you could generally get unless you do some sort of a, you know, like vacation where everybody just goes to play board games. Yeah, and I mean, a point that we talked about, too, is obviously bringing snacks and things like that instead of spending, I think you said, what, a grilled cheese with like $12 or something there. Grilled cheese and $10 for a thing of lemonade. Unbelievable. I mean, you think about that, that's that's a a game, you know, especially if you're looking at the discount area, that's a game or two games. And, you know, would you rather have a game that you're going to be playing the whole time or, you know, not to knock the food there, but it's convention food. You know, it's the same food you're going to get if you're there for a venue, if you're there for a, a concert. That It's just there to pretty much fill you up. So maybe you bring your, so- your socks, your snacks. Uh, you probably bring some extra socks, too, because your feet are probably going to get stinky from walking around. But snacks are probably the things we're talking about where you want to save uh, that money and spend it on games or meeples or dice or pins because uh, we have, you know, a friend that collects, I don't know how many pins she has at this point now, but hundreds. Uh, yeah, so, again, you, using that money wisely, you know, you're there for board games and board game type items, so obviously that's what you should spend it on, and I think that's a good point that Gary had to obviously bring those snacks and realize what you're going to spend your money on and, you know, utilize your time, utilize the time to play board games. That's what you're there for. Yeah. The only other things I guess I'd say, I was a little disappointed with the lines this year. Um, There was a lot of waiting. They did move quickly, but I just, I maybe think they weren't prepared for the amount of people to show up. Um, The the people, they call them enforcers, the, the staff there, they do a good job of making sure that people are going the way they're supposed to, doing the, you know, behaving. I rarely see any kind of problems happening there, despite there being, I don't know what the numbers were, but I'm going to guess twenty to 30,000 people easily this year. There's so many different people and board games that you've never heard of before. Sometimes you can find people selling retro games or, you know, maybe your favorite publisher will be there. I had managed to find one guy, this game Dungeon Drop that Adam owned. I walked past his booth and he had like the complete mega set of every single thing he had for like $100. And he happened to have one or two more sets of like the Kickstarter version that he put in, he threw in for like five extra dollars. You know, and so I ended up getting like every single dungeon drop for a really good price compared to pricing them all out. I think it was over 130 or 150 dollars. 
So a lot of times you can end up finding good deals just walking around and talking to people. Yeah. And Dungeon Drop, uh, again, highly, you know, we both suggest it. It was something I actually got last year in the discount area just because it was, I think, $10. I was like, you know what? Let's, you know, roll the dice on these, um, see how, how good they are and wound up buying it. And it's a very simple, basic game. Uh, but it's tons of fun. So all you do is you're grabbing all these little tiny cubes from a bag and each cube represents something. It represents a wall. It represents a goblin. It represents treasure. It represents a, a key for the treasure box or gems or gold. And what you do is literally hold it over the table or if you have the deluxe version like Gary got, you hold it over a little play mat drop it and they spread out obviously and then you look at the dungeon and you look at where the walls are and you sort of construct a wall uh and then you loop that that room because you make three points i believe if you're playing just basic but there's actually little powers that each character has so sometimes you can use a piece of gold as a wall you can construct a fourth wall and pretty much whatever is in between that little shape that you make you collect all that, uh, that those items. You loot that dungeon room. So it's cool because there's a monster there. You have to sort of take the damage, uh, unless you have a shield. There's all these other little things that fit into that game, but it's very simple. It's just drop, look at the walls, figure out, you know, a triangle pretty much is what you normally make. Whatever's in that triangle, you get. And it's funny because you're trying to find all these angles. There's even a piece in the game that I really like. It's, pretty much just a piece of string it's a retractable piece of string because you want to find out and you're going to hold it from one point of the wall to the other point of the wall to see okay does this hit the line is this in my room or is it just out of the room because you want that one little extra piece of gold or something like that but really fun game and i'm excited to play the expansions and everything else that gary got because the kickstarter version has so many more things and so much more detail on those pieces. Funny thing, mine, the deluxe version did not have that in it. I don't know why. It has every other thing, but it does not have that little string. Oh, really? It didn't have the string? That's surprising. Nope. All right. Well, I mean, it's a string, so it's, but yeah, I'm still excited to try the, the expansion and uh, everything else that comes with it. And I actually, you know, when you showed me what you got, I, you know, a little, little jealous. I wound up actually going online and being like, oh, I didn't even know those were options for the game and looked online. And then I told you, you know, you got a great deal. And, you know, if I pieced those out, it easily would have been over a hundred dollars. So, you know, it's great to score those deals because again, it's not something that you'll usually get if you're out in retail. So it's nice to, you know, score those deals and again, see the game that you weren't really looking for, but realize it's a game that you like and able to pick it up. Mm -hmm. uh, one great thing about the convention too, is that you have the ability to see these things out there and you can, you can see the games, you can try them out in the library a lot of times. And then if you like it, you can go and buy it. So oftentimes it's hard to, you know, yeah, you can find it on Mercari or Amazon, different places, but most of the time if you're trying out a game, it's usually not for sale at the same time. So I do enjoy that aspect of it as well. Yeah, and you said library. Um, if I don't know if you covered it too much, but 
the library is a board game library. That's one of our, I think, favorite parts of it, of a convention, too, is because there's several copies of almost any game you can think of that you can actually just check out, sit down at a table with your friends and play the game. And then if you like the game, go buy it, you know? So it's nice to get to try that game. There's a lot of, like, board game cafes and things popping up nowadays, so it's nice that you get those chances to, you know, try out a game. But it's also helpful in conventions that I like, too, that someone teaches you the game. Someone that clearly knows it, if you go to those booths, you, you they know the game, so they can actually explain it. You can ask the correct questions and sort of get the feel for the game right then and there instead of, sitting down, reading instructions, trying to set up the game, all those extra little steps that, again, cut into your actual gaming time. So that's a big thing for me when I get to see, you know, games being played. Even if I'm not playing them myself, I can look over a shoulder or something at a convention and see, hey, this person's playing this game. Let me see how this is going for 10 minutes. See, you know, if they're having fun or if they're not having fun and, you know, see how that game's being played. If it's something that they enjoy, is it something I would join, uh, enjoy as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've covered most of what I wanted to. The only other thing is I was just going to touch on a few games that I played at packs that I thought were kind of the hits or things that I'm definitely interested in trying again. The first one is a game called Wavelength, which you play in a group. It's a party sort of game where you have two groups. The first person gets a prompt and they look at the prompt there's a dial that you spin randomly and then you um look at where the dial has like a set of um numbers on it you know it starts at the outside of edge there's like a shade for two then three and four is the middle and your basic goal is to try and get them to spin their little pointer and get it to point in the middle of that thing so to give an example you would be like um is the two prompts would be hero and villain. So you would look at it and say that the, you know, it's kind of in the middle, but leaning towards the hero side. So you could be like the Punisher. You're basically giving them a prompt of a something that is applicable to both that. And most people would be like, well, the hero, you know, the, uh, the Punisher means to be a, a hero. Like he sets out to be one. He is a vigilante and he does some, evil shit here and there, but for the most part, he, you know, and maybe if the people know, they would put it there. It's a fun game because you're, you have to gauge what, how the people would interpret what you're saying. And then they, you know, place it wherever it is. The other team has the chance to say it's to the left or to the right of the center is to the left or to the right of wherever they put the arrow. And then points are given based on if you get inside of the range and whether or not you, you know, the other team gets it if they're to the left or the right. And I think it's a great way to just spend some time having conversations. You know, people are going to stop and be like, oh, you know, he's not a villain. He's he's a hero or he's a villain. And that's just one example. But there's dozens of different uh, cards that you can, you know, prompt by. And, and the way that you're going to – everybody's going to think about it is going to be different. So how do you get points? Like how do you – are you trying to get people to push that, that dial, I guess you want to call it, to you a certain the- point? They're trying to get the the little needle inside of the the point scoring range. Okay, um, so that was what I was trying to explain with like the two, three, four. There's like a a small wedge of a uh, 180 degrees is 
you know, got the scoring points and you're trying to get them ideally to the 4.1 because that's the most points. But whatever number that they land on is how many points that they get. And the opposing team gets one point if they manage to say correctly if the, the four point is to the right or to the left. So if you get, you know, in the three and they say it's to the right, and the four is just slightly to the right, then they get a point. But if it's to the left, they don't get the point, or if it's dead center. Okay. And you just play until people are bored, or ten points, or whatever you know people come up to decide about. Okay, okay. This is obviously a party game that you want to play with, you know, a, a decent amount of people. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be four people. That's literally all you would need, is you would need one person to be the, the clue giver, the other person to be dialing in, and then the other team, you know, to trade back and forth with. So it's technically, you know, doesn't have to be, but I feel it's better with a larger group because then you're going to get more conversation and back and forth. Yeah, that game, I've, I've heard of that game in the past, too. Um, I know it came out a few years ago. Um, actually, I think it came out, like, right before COVID. <laughs> so probably the worst time that game could have come out. I believe it came out right before COVID and, you know, uh, now that, you know, people are getting back into bigger groups and everything. And I think this was the first year for PAX Unplugged for them not to require masks, too. So, right. um, yeah, well, last year you had to be vaccinated and masked. And I think even the year before, it was mandatory that you're vaccinated and masked. Yeah, I think we even needed that app at one point, too, to prove that, you know, to upload your vaccination card or something like that. But, yeah, so it's cool that, you know, people are getting back together and getting in these large groups where you can play party games. And I think me and you enjoy party games quite a bit, uh, like Code Names, uh, Blank Slate, illustrations, all those type of games, because, you know, it's we have a large group of friends, so it's it's easy to... I wouldn't say it's easy, but because our friends aren't big board gamers, but it's easy to get a big crowd of people with our friends to get them to play a game isn't the best. So you you always want to get a good party game. So this would be an interesting game to, I'm going to say take out. I'm going to be aware of uh, my catchphrase. <laughs> This uh, this episode more than the last episode, but yeah, I think it's uh that that sounds like a really interesting game. What else did you see there? Oh, uh, that was a fun one. Um, I played Everdell for the first time, and I had somebody that actually knew the game and explained it, and it was, a, it was still a long game, but it was a fun game. It was actually Everdell Farshore. Very difficult to describe the game because it's a lot of moving parts, a lot of different, you know, you have a tableau building system where you're building the the cards in front of you. That's what a tableau is if people aren't uh, familiar with the term. And then there's different parts on the it's worker placement in that you're putting your guys on the board and a lot of things to it that would have been so difficult for me to read the rules and digest and play properly. But I, uh, one of my friend's friends had played the game many times. He was actually in a, in a tournament there and came in fourth place. So he knew what he was doing. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a very fun game. The The basic overall of it is it's a sort of like uh, Battleship Down or like um, Secret of Nim type world where animals are all sentient and like living together and working together and, you know, having their little factions. Um, it's a very expensive game, but it's gorgeous too. They always have a big booth at PAX Unplugged. We also played a game called Nut Hunt where you are squirrels uh, fighting over territory in a magical forest. And there's a fox running around that scares the squirrels to different areas. Okay. You're uh, hunting for nuts. Yes, that's the nut hunt, as you are a squirrel hunting nuts. Um, 
and it's sort of a little bit Catan, a little bit, um, trying to think of the other version, the other part of the game, you know, the Catan where there's the hexes and the moving around, and then maybe, um, Ticket to ride for the other one because you have like you need to connect through nests and squirrels like two different destinations. It was a very fun game. Um, we played four player and enjoyed it. There's a lot of strategy, but at the same time, there's enough luck that you can't just be like, "Well, I'm better at strategy than Gary, so I'm going to beat him every time in this." And the other game that I didn't get to play but I saw and want to pick up is another party style game called Talking Trash where you are a raccoon trying to communicate with a group of possums and you do so with literal like garbage items there, you know, it's like a, a paper umbrella and a, one of those little like monster finger puppets from our childhood and like a little toy car. And you have to convey like you, they have three words like in code names where, you know, you have the, the, them out there and behind your screen you figure out what you think each word means and then you give them the items and they have to match it up and if they get it right they, you go to four items and four words and just go from there and I just thought it was a very fun sort of game and even in the fact that in the rules they said if you want to use your own trash you know they used in quotation marks of whatever as long as you have two of them you're welcome to kind of switch it up and keep the game going with that pretty cool Mm-hmm. You, I see a a um a theme, I guess with uh with your packs unplugged. There's a lot of animal um animal type games. Woodland uh, creatures, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that it was really intentional. I do like animals, but it's not like I'm a you know a hippie or any kind of like uh, um biologist or anything like that just happened to be these ones were fun ones that i played maybe it's because i played a lot of high fantasy games and you know sci-fi games and stuff too so it's a little bit of a fresher genre yeah yeah, switching it up um oh and just i guess to clarify that name the the name of the game is trash talk um trash talk my bad i thought it was talking trash but okay no no i just want to make sure people are looking that up it's trash talk um that came out That's this year. Connecticut too. The guy I I was told that the guy that created it is the owner of Elm City Games down in New Haven. Yeah, I guess uh what's his name? Matt Fantastic, which mm-hmm. is literally a fantastic name. Um so yeah, it's it's cool too. Uh we are from Connecticut, so if you're listening from outside of uh Connecticut. That's where we're from. There's a board game, a big board game store, uh, very popular in the state, uh called Elm City Games down in New Haven. And they have a board game library, I believe, as well. I've only been there to sort of shop, so I haven't been able to try out the, you know, library, but they do a lot of events and everything. So it's cool to see a game that you know, and you didn't even, you weren't even looking for it. It just happened upon playing that game and then find out that it's, you know, created from a guy who, you know, lives in the same state as you, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to cover for PAX? Uh, just one other thing that, like, was a, was an issue um, 
that I think there and, and in some other games that I think it's really important to read the rules if you aren't like 100% know this game. And even then, it's still good to kind of just go back through the rules and hit up some of the important parts. Because when you just skip the rules or, you know, maybe in a loud setting, don't be afraid to ask somebody to clarify because you can really miss a rule that will change the whole play style of the game when somebody comes out and does something and they're like, wait a minute, I could have done that three turns ago and, you know, can kind of lead to some sour grapes feelings. So I think it's always important that even if you played the game a dozen times, just kind of flip it open, read through the, the play turn, the setup, and maybe even the the scoring real quickly just to refresh yourself, unless it's a game that you just played, you know, that day or the day before. I think it's important to, you know, make sure that things are the way you remember. Yeah, because uh, what we were playing, well, we play, I feel like, a lot of two-player versions of bigger games, and there aren't things that are the same from one game to the other, I believe. So I know we've run into it before, but, heck, it's Seven Wonders Duel is one compared to Seven Wonders. There's uh, Splendor Duel, which, again, is a two-player version of Splendor. And they have similar systems, but not all the rules are the same. Um, I'm trying to – I can't think again off the top of my head, which proves that we play those games pretty pretty frequently, especially Splendor Duel. And I can't even think of what the – and we played Splendor, I think, maybe a couple weeks ago maybe. And I can't think of what the difference – was between those two I games, but I remember the that amount one cards. Huh? I think I think it's the amount of cards, the level one, two, and three cards for Splendor Duel are I think five for level one, four for level two, and three for level three. Whereas I believe in Splendor, it's just the same number for each one. I think it's four. I could yeah, be off like numbers, but yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a difference between the number of cards in Duel versus um, traditional Splendor. Yeah, but and again, like that's where it's like we play both those games pretty, you know, often, and feel like I I could explain the game pretty easily to someone, but still read those rules and make sure that you know, you know, I don't even say make sure you know, just read the rules again right before you teach it to someone to make sure you're showing them the right way because you don't want to show someone a, a game and run into it halfway through and then all of a sudden be like, oh, you know what? This was actually wrong. Um, we've experienced that personally. Uh, so that's that's a, a good advice, especially if, you know, we're always talking about sort of getting people into board gaming or finding a game that's good for people. Yes, you could find a game that's perfect for a person, but if you're not teaching the game correctly and let's say they fall in love with it and they wind up buying it and want to show it to their friends and then realize it's a completely different game because you missed a rule, then, you know, obviously that's a big issue. There was, you know, we luckily bought the game correctly and uh, we had a friend that played Unstable Unicorns, which is uh, it's a card game where you're collecting different types of unicorns and you have to get, I believe, five unicorns in your stable to win, and people can play other cards to affect the unicorns in your stable to either have them run out or, um, I don't know if you can kill them or something like that, but um, you're pretty much causing people to have their unicorns not be in your stable. You get rid of them. Uh, you can protect your unicorns in different ways. 
there's a lot of back and forth and our friends absolutely loved it. Loved it so much that I don't know if they owned any actual board or card games before that, but went out and bought that game or or did you buy it for them? I might have bought it for her birthday, I believe actually. I think I bought it, but she had expressed, you know, wanting to play it again and it wasn't like, "Oh, I'm going to get her into it." It was like, "Oh, I love this game and I want to get it." Yeah, yeah, and it was a game that, you know, she was probably just going to buy it anyways um, because then she wound up, I believe, buying a uh, – she wound up buying – that's what it was. Loved Unstable Unicorns so much, which is buy Unstable Games. Go figure. Unstable Unicorns was their big game that she wound up getting Happy Little Dinosaurs just because it was by the same people. That's how much she loved Unstable Unicorns, even though – Happy Little Dinosaurs is a, a, a little different game. Uh, I don't want to speak about it too much because I've only played it once, but pretty much your dinosaurs trying to survive and not die before uh, or survive the longest before a meteor shower or something like that. Um, but it's it's a fun game, but Unstable Unicorns, really fun game. It's supposed to be a quick game, and I think that's if we initially brought it, but no one wanted to let anyone else win. So there was a lot of counterplay back and forth in that game. And I think we played it for hours uh, because no one could just let someone win. It's, it's a fun game. Again, it's not too serious, but it can get really competitive. Uh, but I definitely suggest that game. I think we all own it now. I own the regular version. I think you own the not safe for work. And now our friends own, uh, do they own the not safe for work or do they own the regular one? I think I got them in the not safe for work version. Yeah. Well, why not? That's always fun to add that little uh, extra into it. But yeah, again, you want to make sure that if someone's enjoying a game that you're giving them the correct game, uh, because if you're not explaining the rules correctly, you're unfortunately affecting how they might play games in the future as well. Uh, whether it's that game or, you know, other games as well, if they're not getting the full rules. All right, so speaking of, uh, you know, teaching rules correctly and things like that, uh, the rules in the actual game booklet need to be clear as well. So we actually played a game that I don't even know exactly how to – they gave the vaguest rules – um, like they didn't sort of cover scoring. There was a bunch of information on a card. It was just not the best. So this is an older game, uh, came out in 2014, uh, by TMG. Uh, so, you know, established card based company, you know, they bring out a ton of card games and this is a bigger game, eminent domain, but this was a smaller version of it. So it was sort of like a condensed version of this game. So it's called eminent domain um, microcosms. And it was all about, you know, getting colonies and taking over planets or attacking planets, colonizing planets. And the whole point is it was supposed to be a game that should only take about 10 minutes uh, 10 minutes to learn. It's a two-player game, so it was just me and Gary 
playing in a brewery and we went to play it. And again, we've played quite a few games. So we've played a lot of games where, you know, it's basically about colonizing planets and things like that. And, you know, increasing your war strength and, you know, your warships and things like that. And it's all had that, but there was one page of rules and the rules did not cover anything. So it was a little disappointing because we were trying to figure out what we were even doing. And it's just like, draw a card, play a card. That's all you have to do. And we're like, yeah, but what are we going for? What are we looking for? How do these cards interact with each other? And, well, Gary Gary wound up uh, pulling up a video, right? We wound up looking online because we couldn't – we read the rules over and over again, but it was one page, and it didn't explain anything, Um, which was disappointing because, you know, you – I think it took longer to learn the game than to actually play the game, right? It definitely did because we spent close to 20 minutes looking at it and watching the video and trying to figure out how things were working. And they, I feel like the rules were written by somebody that knew the rules to the game and just took shortcuts and assumed that people would view it from the way they were, you know, yeah, yeah. rules, or that people had played their other game, which we had not. So it was not very well organized. There wasn't any sort of references or examples. And I get that yeah. they're trying to go for as small of a, you know, imprint as they could because it was a very small game, but just in general was not well designed, and that was made it an overall unfun game. And the amount of games that we have at this point, it's like, why are we going to break that game out? We figured it out, but we weren't going to be like, all right, let's go play that game again. We have so many others that I think in this day and age, it's not like you can put out a mediocre game with mediocre rules or anything like that and expect it to catch on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just it was disappointing because, honestly, I think it would have been better if it was a quick 10-minute game and we understood it and played it start to finish. It might have been a decent game, but we were so put off on having to actually watch a video to understand the game that that threw me off you know i i was like okay i wanted to quick take it out play the game real quick and move on to another one in 10 minutes and it didn't give you that experience and it's like okay well that's what you were selling it literally is on the front of the box uh, i believe it says um you know two players 10 minutes um, oh, the entire cosmos. That's that. That's the tagline. So it's like, oh, great, you're offering a lot, and it's like you you didn't deliver. So just you know, I I always stress, you know, if there's anyone ever listening that's about you know to make a game or interested in making a game, make sure the rules are clear. Uh, make sure there's explanations of the rules. Maybe pictures. Uh, we actually just played a game recently that Gary you brought over um uh Seven Wonders Architect, right? Right. It's Seven Wonders I'd say is one of the pillars of the old gaming community. It's been out for a long time. There's a lot of different versions. Seven Wonders Architects is a newer version of it and I think that they did a very interesting job in revamping and re- revitalizing the game. It's got a lot of simplicity to it versus before it was a drafting game it's still a drafting game but rather than passing cards around here and there you have three decks that you have access to to draw your cards and they got rid of the mechanics of you need this amount of wood and that amount of glass instead you just need you know the resources on the card being either different or the same to build your wonder up the game ends when the wonder is built 
and I enjoyed the game overall. They combined some stuff from Seven Wonders duels as well as far as the, I forget what they're called, but like the little chips that would give different bonuses to you. So it would have a lot of replayability to it. And the booklet had very clear, specific examples on how things worked, including all of the the various like erratic questions you would have. Be like, well, what does this one do? Or how does this action work with the wonder? Yeah, I really liked it. It was, I, I like Seven Wonders, and I mean, we play Seven Wonders Duel a couple times. You have the expansion for Seven Wonders Duel. Seven Wonders Duel. I don't know why I'm having trouble saying that, but uh, you got the expansion with the gods on it too, so that was a fun thing. So it's a game we like, and I think this just made it so simple and straightforward. It was so much faster too. Uh, you know, Seven Wonders can take easily over an hour and this you know we were learning it technically the first time when we played it this is the first time we played it what earlier this week and you know might have helped that we knew seven wonders a little bit but even without that there was clear pictures clear explanations it was uh you know i liked in the rule book too you know it was like hey you're looking for a green you know what this green card does it you know highlights every everything in that green box was about those green cards so it's like oh okay that's easy to find what i'm looking for instead of being like oh yeah i remember Third paragraph on the second page, it mentions something about this. So let me, you know, reread the whole second page and try to find that answer. So if you're able to just refer back to the rules and quickly find the answer, that's a huge thing, too. That saves so much time. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I, and again, I, that was, that was definitely a, a game, um, excuse me. <laughs> that was a game, uh, that I really enjoyed. I think that was something where he's going to have to play again because I like Seven Wonders. It's just hard to bring it to the table because it takes so long. And for how long it takes to how good it is, I feel like isn't, it, it doesn't balance well. You know what I mean? You know, it's, it's not, I'd rather play two 30-minute games or 30, 45-minute games than play, you know, Seven Wonders for over an hour. So Seven Wonders Architect gave you that feel for it and did it in, you know, 30 minutes or less. The dominoes of Seven Wonders. <laughs> uh, another game, too, again, uh, that we recently played and talking about rules. I feel like that's the theme of this episode, even though we didn't really try to theme it. but the King of Tokyo game that we played recently with a friend that hasn't played board games too often and we wanted to find a game that he wanted to play and we were looking at my collection and we were like, what kind of game do you want? He's like, "Uh, I don't know. And I was like, do you want like a game where we fight each other? And he's like, yes, that. I was like, all right, King of Tokyo. And I remember me and Gary were like, "Eh, we're not a fan of this game. I haven't whipped it out in quite some time um, because when we played it, we didn't realize we played it incorrectly because we didn't read the rules correctly or whatever reason. But when we played it quite some time ago with other friends, if the way King of Tokyo works is your big monsters in Tokyo where you're trying to 
pretty much be the king. You're getting victory points by either staying in Tokyo the longest or destroying the other monsters. And that's pretty much how you win the game. And you're just rolling a bunch of dice and the dice either help you, let you heal. It lets you damage other monsters depending on where you are, either in or out of Tokyo. And then if you get which this is the one we got incorrectly. They also have numbers on it. If you get a set of numbers, you score that many victory points. So if you roll three ones, you get one point. You roll three threes, you get three points. We were just going, hey, you roll a one three-point die, you get the three points. And it, it got over very quickly because, you know, you only have to roll one die to do that. Um, so we wound up replaying it, realized you needed the set, obviously extended the game and that let us do more because another part of the game too is you actually get um i forget exactly what they're called energy cubes but pretty much their currency in the game to purchase powers for the monsters so you can get like fire breath or you can get you know armored skin things like that to sort of protect you from getting attacked or attack people more or even cycle through and re-roll a a die or something like that. So it's a lot of fun cards. And I remember the first time, you know, we played it with other friends that we didn't get to use those cards. I'm like, why do we have a whole deck of cards that we didn't get to use? Like, what's the point? And because we weren't playing the game, right? Because again, we misread a rule. So it's, so it shows the importance because now I feel like that's another game I want to play where when he did ask us to play that game, I was sort of regretting it and be like, ah, I wanted to give him a good time because, again, he hasn't played board games a lot. I was like, oh, this is a game I remember not being fun, and it wound up being a blast. Um, We had a really good time playing that, and so did he, which was obviously huge because, you know, he doesn't play board games a lot, and we want him to come out more and play those games. So it was nice to have a game that he actually enjoyed. And, again, we didn't enjoy because we didn't play it right because we didn't rule, read the rules correctly. So again, thought we knew how to play the game, made sure we read the rules before we showed it to him because it's been a while, realized that we were playing it wrong in the first place. So that was a good help. Anything else you want to touch on, I guess, with our rule episode today, today or uh, anything else about uh, PAX Unplugged or any conventions? No, I think I've covered for the most part the things that I was looking for. Um, looking to talk about in this episode. We covered the rules and packs. I think if people, you know, are interested in what we're saying, you know, we appreciate if you subscribe or, you know, send us an email with questions or games you think we should play. And that I think I'm all set. And uh, just again to cover this, so it's uh, on Spotify. We're going to have hopefully on other uh, avenues as well where you can listen to this. But it's uh, Mobile Meeple People Podcast. Also, will be, uh, you know, if you want some comments or anything like that, feel free to drop it on our Spotify. Uh, we'll be able to see that. You can also uh, email us at mobilemeeplepeople at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions, we're always looking for that. And a big thing, too, that we're uh, hopefully looking to do, Again, we said we're in Connecticut. The whole mobile meeple people thing is to sort of have that board game library that, again, people are used to seeing at conventions and things like that, sort of make it mobile. That's where that name comes from and have it maybe go to a brewery or something like that. And then, you know, if you're interested in learning a game, 
like I said, Gary and I have taught quite a few games to people that don't normally pay, play board games. So that's actually something that we do quite often. And if there's, you know, a game that you're looking to play that you don't want to sit down and try to tinker through the rules, uh, me and Gary, you know, will hopefully be sort of rolling out a mobile board game library to a local brewery or ice cream shop or coffee shop. And that's something that you can actually message us and say, hey, I'm interested in learning Seven Wonders Architects. You know, when are you going to be there? Can you bring that game? And maybe you can show me and my friends. So look out for that in the future and some other things that hopefully we're going to be doing with board games. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, Gary, anything else? I think just have a great night and be excellent to each other, as Bill and Ted would say. <laughs> Now, now you just made us sound really old. <laughs> Hopefully, well, we people actually know who Bill and Ted is. So, uh, or are is is are. Oh, you made us sound old. I made us sound uh, grammarly incorrect. So, the <laughs> way to sign off. All right. Well, uh, again, tr- keep listening to us, and hopefully, we'll have another episode out soon. We'll make this more a uh, you know hopefully a, a monthly or bi-weekly thing, but just keep on looking out for episodes and, you know, feel free to reach out to us. If you have any comments, uh, we're always looking to improve for you guys. So uh, till then have a good night. Of course, I, now I can't find the thing to stop the recording. Okay. Here it is. Uh, stop.